if you'll turn with me to Psalm 16. Psalm 16, I, I, uh, as we continue our uh, study of Psalms over the summer, I did want to point out to you on page 13 of your bulletin, um, if you look there, uh, we have a uh, Psalm 32 that's been adapted by, uh, by Kristen McGarry, uh, and that was following um, uh, an urging of mine to you a couple of weeks ago that while we study the Psalms, it's really a good practice to write your own Psalms, um, to write your own Psalms, use your own words to express your own emotions and feelings and anger and, and confusion or joy and praise, as we will today. Um, and so Kristen has uh, shared that with us, and any of you who would like to do that and feel brave like Kristen to share it with the rest of us, uh, we would love to put that in our bulletin. Uh, last week we looked at Psalm 22 as we began this series, a, a psalm of lament as it's called. Um, today we're going to look at sort of the opposite of that, a psalm of praise or a psalm of confidence, both of which the psalm uh, last time, Psalm 22 and Psalm 16 that we're going to be looking at today uh, were written by King David. <coughs> But this psalm in particular is unique in that it was also used by the Apostle Peter um, as his chief illustration in his sermon at Pentecost. And so it is called, known as the Pentecostal psalm. Um, it is therefore a very important text in the history of the church um, and hopefully will be for us today as we dive in. So Aaron, would you read it for us? Psalm 16, the Pentecostal Psalm. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out, or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> um, stories that are retold, second and third generation, usually lose some of their oomph. And so I'm expecting that this morning as I retell a story that was told to me about a month ago. Um, yes, I'm walking over to this side of the stage um, to do that. <coughs> I, was, I was 
thinking about doing it from down there, like the, the story was originally told to me, but I'm chickening out at the last minute here. So it was told to me at a conference about a month or so ago by David Taylor, who is writing a book about the Psalms, and he was talking to us about Psalms of joy, Psalms of praise. And so he said, he gave this illustration. David used to be uh, at a church nearby, and uh, he had this guy who sat on the front row every single week, very, very conservative guy. I mean, about as, if you picture a conservative uh, graduate student from UT, there he is, okay? And he's sitting on the front row, and he would, he would pretty much stand still as he was doing it um, and read through the liturgy and sort of sing a little bit. But every now and then, David Taylor says, he would do this. Now imagine if that happened here at Grace and Peace. What would I do? You know, we're not that kind of a church, you know. <laughs> um, David ended up going to this guy and saying, hey, what's up? You know, can we talk a little bit about your little activity there? And he said, really honestly, he said, I'm, if it's distracting, I'll stop doing it. It's just my sacrifice of praise. And David was like, well, okay. Don't stop doing it. And he said, I'm actually jealous. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, we miss something in worship. Um, sometimes, we Presbyterians, maybe, especially, miss something in worship. Now listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. Theological orderliness is a good thing. And we do that really well. And I'm not saying you should do that. I'm not going to do that, even though I just did. Um, but sometimes we miss something of the mysterious movement of the Spirit of God. For the sake of social decorum, don't we? Of course we do. We don't know what to do with that kind of stuff, do we? It's kind of kooky. Now, there is a danger, brothers and sisters, in getting too emotional in church and expecting that kind of emotion. Emotionalism is not good. I had a, uh, a hairdresser, if that's what you could call her, I guess. That's the to call them these days, a hairdresser who uh, went to a Pentecostal church and um, she came to me one day and said that she had been really damaged by uh, this church that she was going to that was charismatic and really expected that kind of emotion, expected dancing in the aisles. And she didn't do it and so she was really looked down on. That's not good. That's not what I'm talking about. But the Psalms, and Taylor said this, the Psalms are full of dancing with tendrils. What are tendrils? Somebody, tell me. What are ribbons? Yeah. Dancing with tendrils. They are full of language like shout for joy. Bang the cymbals. 
and sometimes we miss that in favor of social decorum. And maybe that's why often we don't make as much as we should about Pentecost. Pentecost is sort of the forgotten thing on the calendar so much of the time, but it is integral to the gospel. It is integral to what it means to be the church. Really, it should be celebrated right along with Easter and Good Friday. But what are we supposed to do with Pentecost, with the flaming tongues of fire? What are we supposed to do where, when, when the Holy Spirit brings what appears to be the first voice recognition technology into this world by having people understand each other's tongues? What are we supposed to do with that? Actually, we're not that different from the very first crowd in Jerusalem who actually thought those who were participating in the little praise service there were uh, drunk. Peter says so. You think they're drunk, don't you? You think Pastor Jay's been having a few mimosas this morning before, uh, before preaching. Peter needs to explain very rationally what's going on, and that's what he does in his sermon in Acts chapter 2. He starts by saying in that sermon, this is a fulfillment of the prophecy in Joel, that Joel said that the Lord, in the, in the day to come, the Lord would pour out his spirit on the people. And then he goes into the, his next point is that he says, this is the result of God's plan. Like, this is God's orderly plan, actually, to send the spirit after Jesus' resurrection. So Jesus died rose again, ascended into heaven, and now God's plan is to send the Spirit to make known to all the corners of the earth the thing that Jesus did, that he died and rose again. This is what God is doing. This is all according to plan. Henry Nouwen put it well. He said, without Pentecost, the Christ event, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus remains imprisoned in history as something to remember, think about, and reflect on. The spirit of Jesus, though, comes to dwell within us so that we can become living Christ here and now, so that through us and in us, the birthplace of the church, the spirit of Christ is made known to the world, known to your neighbors, known to your office workers. It's through us, through the spirit, making known uh, Jesus' death and res resurrection that the word gets out. And that God's saving work continues. Now, Peter, in his sermon, to help us understand, discusses and quotes Psalm 16, chapter, uh, verses 8 through 11. When he talks about, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, you will not abandon my soul to the grave, basically he is saying that David, who wrote this, was not writing that about himself. He points to David's tomb and says, his, his bones are right there. He didn't rise from the grave. But there's someone who you persecuted and killed who did. And you know it, he says. That's Jesus. Jesus died and rose again. He uses Psalm 18 as the messianic psalm saying, see, that's what he said he would do. That's according to the plan. He ascended. 
And now the Holy Spirit is here to spread the word. What follows after that is 3,000 conversions in an instant. The power of the Holy Spirit converts 3,000 souls in an instant. And then what immediately follows that is a picture of the early church converted (laughs) who are coming together um, in this beautiful scene of what the church should look like, caring for one another, ministering to one another, evidence of a Holy Spirit-filled life. We use that text in Acts 2 um, as we very first planted our church to, to think about what a church ought to look like in this world. And one of the values that we had was celebration, praise, because we don't do it enough, do we? Like Psalm 16, uh, Acts 2 gives us a view of what a Holy Spirit-filled life looks like. That's really what Acts 16 is doing. Acts 16, um, I'm sorry, Psalm 16, Acts 2, you think of Paul's fruit of the Spirit text, Uh, You think of all the passages about the day to come through the prophecies. This is what a Holy Spirit life looks like. And so does Psalm 16 describe us? That's really the ultimate question here. It describes two main qualities. The first is delight in the community of saints. Verse 3. anyone else wish they were at Pentecost that first day? Man, I wish I was there. I'd love to be there on Easter. Don't get me wrong. I think that would be my first choice. But, but man, would I love to be at Pentecost 50 days later. I mean, the, the scene that, that Luke, who wrote the account, pays for us is amazing. People of every tribe, every tongue, coming together, gathering together to worship Jesus, to face towards uh, the whole, the Peter as he's proclaiming the word of God. Every, every age, every stage, every socioeconomic scale, everyone coming together. Black and white, rich and poor, gay, straight, who cares? You're coming together because the main thing is the main thing, and that is the Holy Spirit has descended upon us, and he is is drawing us in to the worship of Christ. Nothing else matters. Amen? Don't we long for that? Delight in the communion of of saints, brought together by the power of the Spirit. Y'all, that's the thing I'm going to miss most about Austin, is y'all, is you guys. As the Lord has, I know, I know a lot of your stories, not all, but, but a lot of them, and this is crazy. Y'all should not be hanging out together, just so you know. This is a beautiful thing. There are, there are longhorns, amen, can I get an amen? And Aggies, and Sooners even, 
in the house. That's Holy Spirit work, y'all, right there. There's no way that's happening without the Holy Spirit. Evidence of a Holy Spirit life. Quality number one, delight in the saints. Delight in the saints. The second one is deep security, which is a huge, huge theme all through the Psalms. Security in life and death, now and forevermore. This uh, verbiage in uh, verse 6, the lines have been drawn for me in pleasant places. Who loves that verse? Man, I mean, what does that mean though? It is referring to, that's language of, of the allotment of the land when they entered into the promised land. It is the security that God was providing them by promising and giving the 12 tribes of Israel the land. The lines have been formed for me in pleasant places. Lord, you have given me a great inheritance. Now, what David is doing is he's calling our hearts and minds to that image of the land. He's not saying, I am loaded, y'all. Did you see what God gave to me? This is not prosperity gospel stuff, okay? It's not. He's using that as a metaphor for what he's, what he's saying is, the lines have been dro- given for me. The land has been given to me in God. You have given me yourself. And that is the pleasant places. He's just using this metaphor because it would make so much sense to the people of Israel, right? And just like it makes sense to the people of Austin. If you own property in Austin, that's some expensive dirt, y'all. He's saying we're secure as those who own great land in Christ. Security both in this life and the life to come. Um, the secu- security is eternal. That's where he, David is ultimately going with this. The promise of our own resurrection here in verses 8 through 11. Who's afraid to die? Four of you are afraid to die. Yeah, right. Well, I'll add my name to the four of y'all. Now the four of y'all, listen to me. The rest of y'all, fine. Um, verses 8 to 11, they're good for Pentecost, but they're also good for funerals and are often preached for funeral homilies because, brothers and sisters, God will not abandon our soul to the grave either. Uh, John Piper, when he preached the sermon on John 16, he, he started with an illustration of a very good friend of his who had been uh, working with him for over 20 years, who the week prior... Um, his son dropped dead at age 22, and there was no cause. He was just walking alongside next to his sister, and he died. And when Piper was preaching the sermon, he was like, we don't know what happened. 22 years old, picture of health. Are you all afraid to die? Oddly, this young man, a few weeks before, had mentioned to his family that if he ever died, he wanted Psalm 16 preached 
at his funeral. Because it promises the security that we have forevermore in God, in our own resurrection. He will not abandon your soul to the grave. So, the summary of a life spent in light of Good Friday at Easter and Pentecost, the life in the Spirit includes many things, but in this psalm, delighting in community and eternal security. And that results in, in fact, it demands the praise that David is giving, doesn't it? Look at these words in 9 through 11. A glad heart, our whole being rejoicing, fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. Does that describe you? That's hard, actually, isn't it? Right? I actually think psalms of praise and confidence can be a lot harder to pray than psalms of lament, don't you? It feels inauthentic to me to say, my whole being is rejoicing. Maybe it does to you too. A couple of things to think about there. First of all, remember that even if you don't feel it, these are meant to be sung in the corporate service. So you're actually praying this too for your brothers and sisters. So keep that in mind. We'll keep coming back to that. But there is something that David points out here that is key, that is absolutely key to, to having a life with a glad heart and, and your whole being rejoicing and being full, full of joy and, and enjoying God's pleasures forevermore. What's the key here? It's pretty clear. David compares two different people drinking two different cups. Two different people drinking two different cups. Verse 4 is the first one. The one who drinks from the cups of pagan idols uh, or false gods of the world. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply, he writes. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out and take their names on my lips. This verb run after comes from the root verb that means to lust. This is a picture of frenetic hoarding, of frenetic consumption. This is a cookie monster word, except for really dark. I love cookie monster. It's a really dark word. It's about, it's easily used for sexual language that I won't get into. Um, lusting after money or comfort or fame or power, chugging down the cup of reputation or beauty or wealth with greed will lead to sorrows forevermore. Uh, I was having uh, a beer the other night and uh, before my B 
beer companion got there, I was sitting um, next to a table full of uh, UT grad students. I'm going to hook you up there, Tim. Um, they need you. Man, they, I mean, we all need them, right? Um, I'm not saying any better, but what was interesting is these three guys were sitting around and they were strategizing over a pitcher of beer as to how, and I quote, how to get to yacht. I was like, is that a new sort of slang thing? And I'm not, oops, yeah, we need to get to yacht. They need to get to that much wealth where a yacht is possible. That's their goal. That's their telos in all of life, to rush after whatever track will get them to yacht. Brothers and sisters, if that or any of these other idols of the world is your chief beverage, you will end up with a hangover every single time. You just will. Your sorrows will multiply because the promises of those gods are false promises. They are lies. They won't deliver what you think they'll deliver. They won't deliver what they'll promise. And they will make you grumpy, angry people with little joy and little gladness. Right? This person is compared, however, to the one who drinks from the cup of the Lord. This cup language that David uses here is used often in Scripture as a symbol for the overwhelming benefits of God. Psalm 23, which we'll look at later in this series. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Psalm 113, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10, the cup of the blessing that we bless. Is it not participation in the cup of Christ? All the fullness of Christ for us. When I was still in seminary, I went and had golf with a a seasoned elderly pastor, and we were riding around in the cart together, and I, I asked him one question. I said, if you could give one piece of advice, what would it be to a young pastor? And he said, without hesitation, hands down, make sure that the Lord is filling your cup. Because you will not be able to give anything unless your cup is overflowing. It's the best advice I think I ever got. Attend to the cup of your salvation. That's the simple application of Psalm 16. There's nothing tricky here. That's the simple application of Psalm 16. Drink deeply of Christ, brothers and sisters, not those other dumb idols, if you want a glad heart. If you want your whole being to rejoice, drink deeply of his refuge, verse 1. If you want pleasures forevermore, drink deeply of the Holy Spirit's counsel, verse 7. Simple, simple, drink deeply. Are you? 
That's what David is saying. Are you? Drink deeply of the cup because the Lord wants to fill you up. Do you drink deeply of the community in him? Do you drink deeply of the eternal security that he won for you in Christ? Do you de- drink, drink deeply of the Holy Spirit in his counsel, in his grace? Do you drink deeply of the glory of God from whom all blessings flow? <laughs> we sing that every week. All blessings flow from him. Receive. Drink deeply. After 15 years of doing this, I have noticed something every year at this time of year. That as the final school bell rings, sometimes the final church bell rings too. This is uh, detached from church time, typically, where we go into, uh, take your vacations, I'm not saying that, but, but, but worship on your vacations, right? Sometimes we think of this sort of worship and being with God's people as going along with the school year, don't we? Sort of like, okay, well, we got our kids in that, and they did that, and, and the church is not offering any Sunday school over some, so we'll just do, and we'll just do our own thing. It just happens. It's part of the warp and woof. I would like to encourage you brothers and sisters to break that cycle this year. Summer starts next week. Break the cycle. Don't detach. It's interesting that that always comes around Pentecost time, which is the beginning of the church. It ought to be our commencement of praise. Amen? Don't do it. Instead, I have, an, I have a suggestion. Instead, I have a suggestion. Instead of drinking your OJ and coffee, first thing, don't, you, you can drink them second thing, um, but instead of drinking your first cup of OJ and coffee, let your first cup be of the Lord this summer. Why don't you start the day as we're about to end our service by singing the doxology? You know that one? Praise God from... Why don't you start with your feet hitting the floor by singing the doxology, filling your cup with the praises of him from whom all blessings flow. You might just have a glad heart that day, no matter what happens. You might be filled with praises forevermore that day, even if you have a crummy business meeting. Start with the doxology, drinking the cup of the doxology. Offer your sacrifices of praise, brothers and sisters. Your kids and your roommates may feel like you are completely off your rockers. They may think you are weird by dancing around with your tendrils. Or they may just join in. Let's do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time and this reminder that you are the one from whom all blessings flow. And now as we come to your table, as we get filled again, as we drink from your cup again, as we are reminded that you have drawn the lines for us 
in pleasant places, that we are secure in this life and in you now and forevermore, that we have brothers and sisters at the table with us who are weird but wonderful and beautiful, and that we get to worship with them as the church at Pentecost did. Praise be to you, Lord Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand together now and sing.